Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I know all you analytical people are sitting there thinking, okay, so when did it grow? And what was it that he did that made it grow? And what's the formula, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know you're doing it. You don't have to repent. It's all right. We all do it. Because it, it's, it's, it's logical to go through that process and uh, wonder, well, what happened? You know, Because we all have things that we want to stand on and things that we want to see it. Because you know, probably most of you were expecting no blockage, right? Let's just kind of use this as an object lesson. How many of you were thinking he was going to get to the part and he'd say no blockage? Was anybody expecting there's a new artery there? Be honest. Okay, does that mean that God tricked us? He's like, aha, gotcha. You thought it was going to be this way, and I did it this way. I don't think so. You know, I mean, for whatever reason, and who cares what the reason is? The man has a new artery. See, here's the thing. God tends toward life. The things that God touches, the thing that God has access to will tend toward life, no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like, no matter how it gets there, the result of God encountering anything is life, not death. Amen? He he is living. He is alive. He is the source of life. He is alive. There's a passage that says that we are alive because Christ is alive. Right? So we were dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ for those of us that have said yes to him. I take a lot of comfort in that. A lot of comfort in, I don't have to, doesn't have to be exactly how I need it to be. You know, I don't really understand what it takes. And I asked Jimmy, I said, well, so is that something that, uh, does that happen? Did you ask a doctor? You know, sometimes you get in these moments and you forget to ask. Thankfully, he asked. And, um, he said, well, yeah, they said it happens. It's not, it's not normal, right? I don't remember exactly how you said it. it. Did you use the word rare? I don't remember you using the word rare, but it's not, yeah. It does happen, but it's not the norm. So you felt a difference, but, which is what they say when you get a stent or you get a bypass, you have more energy because you have better blood supply, right? So you felt a measurable difference on that day. I mean, to me, that sounds like that thing grew right then. I want you to think, right? I don't want you to just have blind faith. Is God a healer or is he not a healer? Why did he get healed, but the last person you prayed for didn't? Uh-oh. Do you want to know why? I don't know. <laughs> Does God want you healed? Yes. Yes. Otherwise, he would not have given you an immune system. I mean, Courtney, Courtney's got, we have the uh, youth car wash happening. And, you know, he had a fracture in his heel that they told him he'd probably never walk the same again. Have you seen him? He doesn't have a boot on. He's in tennis shoes. I mean, you know, there's some healing left to do. But the doctors are telling him, like, well, you know, we don't, our thing says, and I, praise God for doctors. I would never slam the medical industry. Well, certain, most, most of it. You know. <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry is different. But anyway, the, the doctors that are really trying to help people, you know, and most of them are, I, I'll stop. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> but their thing is, well, based on the kind of fracture that you had, you still need, you know, for those of you that don't know, Courtney's our youth pastor. He fell rock climbing and he shattered his left heel, heel bone. And there was a fracture in there big enough to put like a ballpoint pen into, which is pretty significant. And usually in that type of fracture, they go in, put plates and screws, and, and, and it's, you know, it has to heal that way. And, and they'll, then they say, the, typically the diagnosis is you'll never walk the same again. You may never run again. Well, not so for him. He's going in, he's got new bone tissue growing, he's got no pain, he's just, has, it's just, he's just wrecking all of their expectations. And the doctor says, well, we say this, but this is happening to you, so we're not really sure. And, and the doctor even told him it must be God, or this could only be God. Man, praise God, I love that, right? Yeah. And so 
On the flip side of that, our friend Ron, you know, Ron and Linda, they usually sit in this area right here. They're uh, part of the CMA community. You guys know who Ron is? He's doing great. The man is 81 years old. You wouldn't have guessed that if, if, you, you, know who, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, he's got a not-so-good diagnosis, and we prayed for him. And, you know, not much improvement. Why? What's going on? Does God like Jimmy better? I mean, these are real questions, right? Let's get real. Does Jimmy have more faith? Now, some people would say yes. But see, what faith is, is confidence in Jesus, not a commodity that you own. You know what I mean? Like, we've been taught that you get more faith if you do more spiritual exercises, or the more righteous or holy that you live, the more faith that you have, as if it's something that God disseminates because of a response to your actions or something like that. The only difference in faith is how confident this one is in Jesus versus that one. That is what makes the difference in faith. You know, so you might say Jesus was more, or Jimmy was more confident, but maybe not. You know, I'm not really sure. I don't care. I, I am fine with knowing that God is a healer. Amen? I am fine with knowing that, G, that by his stripes we are healed. That on that cross he took our disease and our sickness to give us his health. That he became sin so that we could become righteous. I'm good with that. The problem is, is when we use the, the, the carnal, and carnal doesn't mean evil, it just really just means physically logical. You know, carnal thinking is, it's by uh, this world's standards. It, it only has this logic to work with. It kind of eliminates the, the, the element of the impossible, you know. I mean, for good reason, kind of. But it eliminates the realm of spirit, and this is really what I want to talk about for the next few weeks. You know, today, I praise God for this testimony. I mean, yeah. I, aren't you happy for him? Yeah. And, and then again, there's lots of people, people that we love that are suffering, people that are in pain. You know, yesterday marked the four-year mark that my dad passed of cancer. You know, I, I remember going to the hospital, went down to Florida, prayed for him, and he sat up. And, and changed and was hungry, and the doctors came in and did more tests, and over the course of that week, they were using the word remission, and they were surprised. And then for whatever reason, he just, you know, just crept back in, deteriorated, and, and uh, what happened happened, you know. Now, we're all going to die. I just don't think we have to die sick. I don't know that I necessarily have a scripture for that, but you base that on the character of God. God is a healer. It's what he wants. Huh? Die happy, go to sleep. <laughs> so I just want to talk today. I want to really just kind of lay this foundation of our connection with spirit, specifically God's spirit. You know, I'll just give you this visual to start with, and I use it all the time. You know, you'd think I'd be like this amazing gardener or something, the way that I use these <laughs> illustrations. Not so much. We try. We get, them, we get the pots home, or I run out. She's like, tell them that you ran over my peony. <laughs> Got a new lawnmower. I ran, I, ran over the, I ran over the peony. I was going downhill, and it's one of those zero-turn things, and I... Yeah, <laughs> whoops. Like half of it, it's like scraggly. Half of it's still there, but anyway. No. <laughs> it has roots. It'll make it through. But the visual that I just kind of want to leave you with to start this, and, and, and I, there are some teaching moments that I'll get to. I'm, I'm getting ready to read a bunch of scripture based on the idea of spirit to leave you with the focus of a simple truth, and that is you are directly connected to the spirit of the living God. In this moment, if you've said yes to Jesus, you have passed from death to life. Now, your physical body hasn't necessarily caught up yet. Your soul needs to experience that. But the eternal aspect of you is alive forevermore. Amen? That element, that aspect, that spirit that is within you interacts with the rest of us. 
And I think if it had its unhindered way, like we didn't get in the way or all this stuff that's going on in this world, it would look, our life would look just like heaven. I'm, that's just my conviction. You remove anything that's hindering the spirit. And just like Jimmy quoted in Hebrews, you know, they limited God. It was the children of Israel that in their hearts, they hardened their hearts to the promise. They limited the Holy One of Israel, it says. God says, you got water out of the rock? I wanted to give you honey out of the rock. You know, you limited me. You got just enough to get by. You got what you needed to survive, but I wanted to bless you beyond that. So this idea of spirit, right? So when you think about spirit, it's the word ruach. Say that, say that with me. Ruach. Some people say ruach, but... You know, it's like you get a... That's the Hebrew word, and it basically means, it means a bunch of different things, actually. 232 times uh, the word is in there, and it's, it's translated as how we typically think of spirit, a spirit, right? 92 times it's, it's translated as wind, wind. Uh, 27 times it's translated as breath. Five times it's translated as mind, and four times it's translated as blast. You know, like when, when, when the biblical authors wax poetic and they start talking about the blast that came out of the nostrils of God that parted the Red Sea, you know, that's the word ruach. That's the word spirit, the spirit of God, the blast that came out of his nostrils, you know. So there's, we actually miss in our English translations, we miss a lot of the emotional context of the word we miss a lot of the relational context of the words that, we, that the Bible was written with. But when you do some digging, and I'm going to do a um, how to study the Bible class here pretty soon. All right, so let me just go through and we'll set the context of this idea of spirit. Ultimately, spirit is the life essence of whatever it is that you're describing. It's what keeps it alive, right? So the spirit of man or the spirit of God or you know, the spirit of this church or the spirit of the mind. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the fundamental life essence of that thing that keeps it going. So you see it subjective, you see it objective, you see it specifically talking about someone's spirit, and then you see it talking about this collective realm of spirit. So just to kind of sort through some of these ideas, let's just go through these. And looking in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, this is the first reference of this, pat, of this word. And the earth was, was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Um, yeah, I love reading about all that kind of stuff, but essentially what you have here is God's life essence did something to creation to bring about life, right? To bring about creation as we know it. Genesis 3.8 And they heard the voice of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool is the word ruach. Interesting, right? What does that mean? I'm not really sure. But there's more to spirit than just a distant place or a distant realm or God separated from you. Here it talks about spirit as the cool of the day, this part of the time of the day that, that was interactive for God, right? I find that interesting. Genesis 6, 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. So there's this kind of collective spirit realm, and then there are individual spirits. Genesis 7, 15, And they went, into, and they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two, all flesh, I'm just making sure we got the same translation, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. So this word breath is ruach. You know you want to say it again. Go ahead. Yeah. The breath of life, the spirit of life. And so the fact that other things have spirits, you know, because what you get into, and it's interesting that they had this interesting Facebook exchange with this guy who's kind of gone into really just what I would label as new age. 
you get this idea that, okay, well, if God is spirit and everything is spiritual, does that mean everything that is spirit is God? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever thought, of, thought that through? It's like, okay, if it's spirit, it must be God. Not necessarily. Even in spirit, there's individuality, right? So there's God's spirit specifically that, that we're going to get to where, how it relates to us. Genesis, uh, let's see. Let's go to Genesis 26, 35. It says, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and Rebekah. So that word mind is the word ruach, is the word spirit. You know, over in the New Testament where it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, some people turn that to say, be renew, renew now your mind after your spirit, but it's talking about, really, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's not saying that your mind has a spirit, like your brain has a spirit. You know what I mean? It's saying the, the, the core of your mind, the deepest part of where you think and believe and reason and experience life, be renewed there. Be renewed in that essence of who you are. Amen? And then Job 4.9, this is the blast one. By the blast of God they perish, by the breath of his nostrils they are consumed. And the word breath, again. So let's fast forward to where Jesus talks about it. And you can pull that down for just a minute. You know, Jesus came and he taught us a lot about spirit. In fact, it was really interesting. He said, look, I've got a bunch of things that I have to tell you, but I can't tell you until I send my spirit. And he said, he said, the most important thing that I can do, you know, this is after his resurrection. I love this. It's, it just kind of twists your brain a little bit why this is one of those questions that I'm going to ask because apparently only one of the Trinity can be here at, this, at any given time. I don't really know what that's all about. But Jesus said, I have to leave. So this is after his resurrection, right? He raises from the dead. And 500 people see him at one time. You know, I've heard theologians calculate it was about 750, maybe even 1,000 people. Eyewitnesses saw him after his resurrection, 500 at one time. And he's meeting with his disciples, and he says, all right, here, look. Can you imagine? I mean, th just put yourself in that position for just a minute, okay? You've seen Jesus. You've walked with him. He dies. He comes back. He walks through the walls. You put his... Put your finger in his side, you know, he, he's floating, I don't know, all the things that he must have been and done in front of them, you know. And he says, all right, you guys ready? Here we go. You're about to participate in the increase of my kingdom, and I'm sending you out. Here's your thing. Go into the world, make disciples, you know, lay hands on the sick, all the commission that he gives at the end. And he says, the most important thing that can happen right now is I leave, <laughs> so that my spirit will come. Okay, what that tells me is that it is more important for the Holy Spirit to be here, specifically in you. It's more important for that to have happened than for Jesus to still be here in bodily form. Think about that for a minute. Which would you rather have, Jesus preaching your Sunday morning sermon or the indwelling Spirit of God? I mean, I know there's days where it's like, man, Jesus, just, I just, I'd like to see you. Just show up. Let's just hang out. You Just tell me what to do. <laughs> and and it, it eventually just gets around to that, right? But what's more important is that he go so that he can send his spirit. Have you thought about that? I mean, do you realize how important it is that you have the spirit of God within you? And what does that even mean to you, you know? There should be something different about us Christians. So Jimmy, for example, right? So he prays, he calls people, he gets people in faith to stand with him. He feels like he gets a leading to listen to this song all night long. You know, I'm sure there were some other things that he might have even subconsciously done following the Spirit of God that he didn't know. You with me? all to just get himself to a place where his heart could receive this miracle. His heart could receive, physically, literally and spiritually, he could receive this miracle, this artery growing. I mean, think about that. A new artery grew around 
Why? So that he would live. So that he would have energy. They could have done a stint. They could have gone in and, you know, done what medical, the medical field can do and bring him to life. But his body somehow received instruction. Now, see, here's where I want to get to in the idea of what miracle is. You know, miracle is not necessarily God shows up and makes something happen that's impossible. Miracle can be where God says, all right, we're going to work with what's already naturally there. God designed your body to heal. God designed your body to tend toward life. I mean, look at lizards. Their tail drops off, they grow another one. Starfish, you cut it in half, it grows back. In the beginning, when your stem cells are growing, it builds and makes organs. They are doing things with stem cells now where they're growing ears and attaching them to people. You know, in Panama, I watch, I listen, read all these things, and it's an ethical way to harvest stem cells, the ones that I'm looking at that I think are very interesting, but they're injecting them into like joints and shoulders, and the stem cells will grow new tissue. I mean, the body is incredible. I mean, think about if sin never came in the garden in the beginning. I love thinking about that kind of stuff because that shows me the will of God. What we're experiencing right now is not the unhindered will of God. It's the will of God with man's will on top of it. We've really pretty messed it up, pretty much messed it up. You want to see the unhindered will of God, what God actually wants for humans? Look in the garden and look in heaven. Those are the two areas where God did it his way and did what he wanted to do and is perfect. So the idea of spirit is not so much that, you know, your eyes roll back in your head and you kind of float and you, you sound strange and, you know, you sway across the stage. and No, it's, it's, it's a new artery growing after you pray and you listen to music. Are you with me? It's a very real natural experience. It might be supernatural in that something beyond natural happened, but it's a natural means that brings it about. I was talking to Janine. She said, well, you know, that water to wine thing was pretty impossible. That's true, but it was still a molecular change. You know what I mean? The multiplying of the fish, that's pretty amazing. Five fish feeds 5,000 people, or two fish, five loaves of bread, 5,000 people. Wow. I mean, what, what that, have you ever thought about that? You, you ever meditated and just put yourself thinking about that? Like you're sitting there watching Jesus and he's like, what do we have? He already knew. And he's like, give me those fish. And he just starts, what would it have looked like? I mean, would you even, is it like a David Blaine magic, you're like, or Carbonaro effect or something, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> what would have happened? What would you have seen? I don't know, but I mean, it would have been pretty interesting to look at, right? But still, the thing is, he used the natural means, and he did something incredible with it. God multiplied something that already was there. To me, that's miracle. It's working with natural design, but, but then you, it's like, how many of you guys in the 80s, you know, you, you were envious of the people with the Camaros that had the nitrous? You know, my friend across the street had a Mach 1 with a nitrous. Nitrous, for those of you that don't know, if you just missed out on the golden age of the 80s, <laughs> nitrous was, it, it's gas, right? And you had it hooked into your car, and you hit the button, and it supercharges your engine, <laughs> you know. Or you think about electricity. I wish Michael was here. I could ask him some about electricity. But you think about electricity, right? Electricity has to be stepped down in order to interact with it, right? I mean, if you just pumped pure electricity into these light bulbs, they'd explode. It has to be whatever. It has to be stepped down and what? Tempered? I don't know. Something like that. Transformed. There you go. It has to go through something. Something's got to happen. That's the... <laughs> you know, I, I think about that. It's like our hearts are the transformer. It's like we, our mind, our consciousness, our capacity to look at God and limit him is what must happen to electricity. It's like the spirit of God, you know, is just power. And Jesus showed us that it's relational. And then God gave us these new hearts so that we could interact with it. And it's like we got this built-in governor. Anybody have golf carts with governors on them? You know, you just want to yank that thing off. This thing will go. 
it's, that's what we have. It's like a governor within us to step down that power. And unfortunately, we step it down too much. We constrict it too much. We limit it too much. We don't let it do what it's going to do. You know, there, there's that balance of letting your heart receive the spirit of the living God to the degree that it will do what it wants to do to tend toward life. I mean, electricity can light the room or light you up. The Spirit of God as well. That's why we have to be made righteous. Because when you, when you I think that's what the, the second death is, is that once, once everybody is resurrected and you're before God and it's like His full glory is revealed, if you have not been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, you cannot stand in that presence. It's just... You know, I mean, you're, it is, you're done. It's the second death, you know, is what it's called. Uh, the lake of fire, you know, we're not going to go into all that right now. But, so, but this idea of spirit, let's just look at what Jesus talked about spirit. John 4, and I have several more passages here, but we're just contextualizing spirit the way that Jesus talked about it now. And then in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to go into the fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, uh, baptism in the Spirit, all those kinds of things. And maybe from a perspective that you've not really heard before, I mean, if you've heard me talk about, you know, tongues and stuff like that, you kind of know my approach, but, but it might be a little bit different. Those of you that do do that and you're good with it, you may learn a little bit more. Those of you that don't, and maybe you've even been taught that it's of the devil or something like that, you know, we'll, we'll bring it to you in such a way that it's like, all right, let's, let's just look at it as if it's an apple growing off the tree of Christ within you. And it's something nourishing for you versus some strange thing that you don't understand, you know. So John 4, in verse 13, Jesus answered, said to her, this is the woman at the well, right? This is the woman who, well, most of you know the story, but I'm just going to keep going here. There was a woman at a well. And he said to her, uh, whoever drinks of this water, so she, <laughs> I feel like I do need to set it up a little bit because some people might not know, you know. But so, so Jesus is doing his thing and is, he's away from his disciples and he's going to a particular area and he feels God nudge him to go to this other area. So he goes to that, that way because God needs this to happen, right? And so he asks this woman for a drink of water. It's at Jacob's well, which, you know, this... It's interesting, if you do some research on this well, this well, at the time of this story, it was about 1,800 years old. Pretty interesting, right? I mean, this well was as far away from Jesus as we are from Jesus, almost essentially. You know, it's, it's just, it's interesting. So he tells this woman, he says, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. What's he talking about? But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Everlasting life. Now, your heart, thinking of it as that transformer that steps down electricity, you have this, I mean, what does that look, what's the image that you have in your mind, right? And I'm not saying this determines your degree of faith or anything like that, but do you have just like a little squirting a little sprout within you? Or is it like fire hose, you know? What is it? And, and so then how do we interact with that? How do we drink of that spirit? We know the effects of that spirit should be the fruits of the spirit, the nine fruits of the spirit, should be the expressed gifts of the spirit, should make us more loving, more kind. That's what it should do. But how do you interact with it? That's where we're going over these next few weeks. So... But the water that I give will become a, in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, is there an actual fountain in you? Is it in you in such a way where you can actually interact with it? And how do you interact with it? I think we see through Jimmy's example. You interact with it. It's in, it, by nature, it's an influence. The way, well, let me say, in function, it's an influence. Now, what if he had not 
reached out to the people that he reached out to to pray? What if he'd not followed the instruction of listening to that song all night? What if he'd taken the clothes with him to the hospital? You know, it's different for everybody. Like the guy, the rich guy came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to enter the kingdom? He said, well, for you, you need to give away everything you got. Follow me. Now, you know, the strict line upon line, precept upon precept would say that applies to everybody. Well, I don't know. Not, not so fast. That was a personal relational conversation he was having with this guy, right? So for you, what does it take for you to experience the influence of the Holy Spirit? Is it you don't take your clothes to the hospital when the doctor tells you to? You know what I mean? Where's your faith? What is it that, will, what is it that you can put into practice that will prepare your heart to experience this life that's springing up within you, right? What does it take for you? And I, I'm telling you, I think that's why, that's the difference to me of what determines who gets healed and who doesn't. The, the, area, the thing that we do inwardly to prepare to receive or not. Now, I realize that can be offensive because that sounds like, well, you don't have enough faith, but that's not what I'm saying. If God is God and he doesn't change and he wants to be for everyone who he is, then the, the, the issue is on our end of the equation. What is it that we are missing that we're not putting into place to be led by God? You know, it says acknowledge God and, and he shall lead. How does it say? <laughs> He'll direct your paths. You know, if you look at the tenses of it, it's what it's saying is acknowledge God in your heart and you will be leadable. Like acknowledging prepares you to be led. The question is not how do I follow God. The question is what do I, what do I need to do inwardly to make sure that I can be led, that I'm not limiting where God would lead me. Is it my fear? Is it my worry? In the passage that Jimmy quoted, he said, you know, harden not your heart as they did in the day of provocation. Hardening your heart could just mean that you're going through your natural reasoning. You're desensitizing toward God's influence and you're leaning more towards your worldly logic, your carnal thinking, which leads to death. Again, not evil thinking per se, but just kind of thinking that you're cut off from the Spirit of God, not factoring in. See, a lot of us think that interacting with the Spirit is, God, I need this. I'm totally detached emotionally. I don't really want to put the work in to feel that this is true. Here's my need. Show me something. Prove yourself. I mean, we don't say it that way, but that's how a lot of our prayers are. We don't do the work on the inside to be prepared to receive it. And the work on the inside mostly happens from you understanding what Jesus did for you on that cross. The work on the inside is believing. It's not a work to earn it. It's a work to become confident that what he did is effective now for you. Do you see that? It's a convincing it's a convincing of yourself that it's true, that it is this reality, because you have this governor that's limiting what God can do. It, we already know that because the children of Israel do it. We can do it as well. The difference is he's in us. Skip down to verse 24 in that same John 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Man, I'm telling you, we've made that weird. Well, I tell you what, I was just worshiping in spirit today. Well, you probably just actually felt a sense of euphoria because you danced around so crazy that your endorphins kicked in and you had an emotional experience. Maybe. Or maybe you actually did relax the hardening of your heart and you did have a genuine experience with the presence of the living God, right? But So worshiping in spirit is not you have this mystical experience. Worshiping in spirit is you worship, and the fruit of that worship is you are confident in who God is. You are removed from the logic of this world. You are in your mind. You're not holding on to something that's counterproductive or... or counter, uh, you know, it's a, an opposite truth of what God would say. In other words, if you're worshiping and the promise is more real to you than the negative circumstance, you're in spirit. You're worshiping in spirit. 
you're worshiping in truth because spirit is truth. That eternal dimension is truth. Do you see that? It's not necessarily about the phenomenal experience that you have as much as it is. Where does it leave your heart toward God? In faith? Saying, I see what that says. I see that the doctor says blockage. I see that the doctor says broken. But that just isn't real. To, what's more real to me is life and health. That's worshiping in spirit. Amen? Verse 34, same chapter. So the disciples come to him, and, you know, they try to bring him some food, and <laughs> Jesus, you know, man, he must, it must have been a little bit odd to hang out with him sometimes, because they just didn't have a grid. Of, I mean, we've had 2,000 years of this information and this knowledge, but he said, my food, to, my food is to do the will of God who sent me and to finish his work, because he didn't eat. They brought him this food. Aren't you hungry? My food is to do the will of God. I love that. And I'm telling you, this is rabbit trail number 27. Some of, you that are <laughs> some of you that are depressed, the way out of it is to help somebody else. It's fulfilling. It's life-giving. I mean, it is easy to sit there and have all of your problems well-diagnosed and chart a spreadsheet of your problems burn that thing, and go help somebody. I mean, just go do something for somebody. Is the littlest thing, you know? If you can, at the gas pump, go pay for somebody's gas. Go pay for somebody's meal. You know, your neighbor, go cut their grass. I mean, I'm, those are simple little things, but I'm telling you, it just does something. It does something within you. It's life-giving. It absolutely, it's true that it's more of a blessing to give than it is to receive. And see, here's the thing that we have to realize. Acts of kindness like that and acts like that, led by the Spirit of God, actually are life-giving and nourishing. Like there's something that brings vitality within that because you're experiencing the presence of God and it will bring life. It's not just, well, I did this and I feel really good. Now there's something, there's an exchange. You are partaking of that wellspring of life that's, coming up within you to nourish you, to bring you to life. It's a very real thing. It's not detached from you. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not... Am I going too fast? Oh, good. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You ever feel like you're wasting away? I mean, here's, here's what I want to have happen out of this message is that when you go face life this week, something happens where you shift your thinking and you acknowledge God and you realize, no, the spirit of the living God is available and active right now. I don't know that I need to necessarily intellectually discern a message from him where I get this information and I know ABC as much as I allow his influence to bring me to a place of hope and bring me to a place of encouragement, that my consciousness is shifted away from whatever this thing is, and I'm, my, my radar, my blinders are toward God. I'm just, I'm looking at him. You know, think of yourself like a flower turning toward the sun. All that flower does is just turn. And, and, it's, and it's just, it's the nature of the relationship for it to tend toward life when it is focused on it. It will happen within you, I'm telling you. And something that Jimmy and I talked about as a, in, in part of this was this message, this scripture that he stood on, harden not your heart. Now, you guys remember when uh, Courtney gave his testimony and he said that God gave him that passage that said that God is, holds all things together and, and he had this image, and in, him, in him all things consist, and that word consist means to hold together, to bring together. And his bone, his heel bone was fractured, and he needed something to bring that thing together. That was a very relevant word. Now, that was, that was just a spiritual truth, but it was also very personal for him in that moment. What if he didn't know that passage to stand on? What if Jimmy didn't know that passage, harden not your heart in that moment? You need to have the Word of God in you because it is what God will draw on to help you stand in faith. 
I'm telling you, do it. Get the Word of God in you. Read it, listen to it, meditate on it. Not because you're trying to keep God happy, not because you're trying to perform for anything, but so that your soil is prepared that when you need to depend on God, He has something to work with within you. You hide the Word in your heart, and it will come out when you need it. I promise you. I promise you that. If you have it in there and you turn toward him, he will bring it out and he will bring it to life in that moment when you need it and it will be real to you. And it will be more real to you than that thing that you're facing that's against that knowledge. I mean, I'm just telling you, get that word in there. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent, which just means change your mind, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> rabbit trail 28, here we go. Repent and be baptized in, the, in what? Repent and be baptized in what? You sure it doesn't say water? Because <laughs> that's what we're taught. You got to tell God how sorry you are. Then you got to go get water baptized and they tack on in Jesus' name as you're coming up out of the water. This is not talking about water baptism. I'm going to get into baptism in the Spirit. I'm going to get into being baptized into the body of Christ. This is talking about being born again. It's talking about being baptized in, being immersed in Jesus, being fully submerged in Him, and which is the fruition of what Jesus prayed in John 17. He asked God, He said, look, I pray that they be one as we are one, as I am in you and you are in me and I am in them and you are in them and we are in they and, and it's like this thing. Oneness, right? That's what he's talking about. Now, water baptism is an expression of that spiritual truth. Are you with me? But water baptism in and of itself is not what saves you. It's being baptized in Christ that saves you. Water baptism is just a public expression acknowledging what the deeper thing that actually happened. So he says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, does water forgive your sins? No. Being in Christ is what causes you to be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the, it is the gift that God has for you. This gift that when you say yes to Christ is his spirit. He literally, you know, I forgot to tell you, finish my story, and I just remembered now, thank you a little bit. The picture that I was going to give you, right? Think of a dead branch laying on the ground, and the tree that it's laying next to, the tree reaches down and picks up the dead branch and engrafts it back into itself. That's you in the Father, and Christ is that agent that reaches out and brings you back in and holds you in there, and essentially you become one with him. That's the image of being in spirit. You're not cut off. You're not left to your own resources. You're not left to your own income earning potential. You're not left to your own understanding. You're left with the spirit of the living God within you. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I want not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were found were under the cloud and passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all did eat the same spiritual food and, and did all drink the same drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So even under the old, there's this physical manifestation of spirit that becomes water for them. You know, this is where I want to go over the next few weeks. How do we interact with God so that that spirit becomes physical within our lives. And it's not something that you can earn or work your way into. You believe, you rest, is really what it's about. It's about aligning your heart and your mind with the truth with, through the word so that when God's spirit moves, he uses his word and it comes alive and it actually does something for you, changes you and transforms you and even maybe even meet a need or empower you to meet someone else's need or empower you to operate in whatever gift you may, God wants you to operate in for that person. It's all a fruit. It, everything that we want to do as Christians, you know, you hear the phrase, I want to do the stuff. 
All of that stuff is one thing. It is a fruit of that living water that is within you that rises up and it becomes all kinds of interesting things for you and for other people. Romans 8. So how do I get in the spirit, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Here we go. Romans 8, verse 9. But you are not in... So he kind of goes through this whole thing about who's in the flesh, who's in the spirit. And basically, he's just talking to believers. So this is for you. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. How do you get in the spirit? You get the spirit in you. You know, you've heard people, well, I tell you what, I was in the spirit. Well, you ever seen that movie, Young Guns, and they have to eat, they have to eat that peyote and go through the <laughs> desert, and he's like, sees that Indian, hey, you know he's in the spirit world? He looks at him, he's all whacked out. That, well, that's what we think being spiritual is, you know? We got to be all weird and crazy and get in the spirit world. No. The way you're in the spirit is the spirit is in you. Amen? Pretty simple. Now, you might have different experiences with that already connected spirit, and I'm down with that. People hear and see and all that stuff. I'm okay with that. But you don't leave that realm other than in your mind. Amen? That was kind of a quiet amen, but, you know, we'll keep going. <laughs> now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Do you have the spirit of Christ? I hope you do. I'll give you a chance here if you don't. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit is life because of righteousness right now in this moment, that must mean you have righteousness. You are righteous in this moment. You are as you should be before the Father in spirit. Amen? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body and grow you a new artery if you need one through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know what I mean? So, all right, let me read this and then I'll stop. Seven, this is John 14. This is Jesus talking about what it would be like once he sends the Spirit. You guys good? All right. If you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty simple, right? What are, what are Jesus' commandments? Love God, love people. So if you love him, do that. Dad's shaking his head on that one. If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Not scrutinizer, comforter. That he may abide with you when you're acting holy. When? Forever. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him or perceives him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you also shall live. And that, and that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them so there should be some fruit. He is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. See, this is what we want. We want to experience the manifestation of spirit, right? It's, we, we all pretty much believe that he's in us. We're starting to believe, okay, well, there is an interactive element. There's a relational element, you know, uh, but now there, there should be this physical element. You know, I should be nourished by that. I, sh I should, my life should be better because of the Spirit of God is in me. The last verse here, verse 26, same chapter. But the Comforter who is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he, will, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have, I have said to you. Okay, so this shows me that that indwelling spirit is not just a force. 
It's not just power. There's a relational element because he's talking to me. He will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, he taught Jimmy by bringing up that scripture that he had in his heart. And, he, and that turned into this influence of listen to this. Listen to this that will cause your faith to be confident within me. That's a teaching. That's a leading into truth. There's another section. He says, I will, I will, I will lead and guide you into all truth. Right now, in this very moment, this second, you're facing things that you don't know how to deal with. Maybe it's been a lifelong struggle. Maybe somebody's crazy in your life right now and you don't know what to do. God knows. And in this very second, he is teaching you how to respond. First and foremost, he's teaching you who you are. Like it says in Romans 8, that spirit within you is bearing witness to your spirit that you are God's child. You, you always just go, if you, if you don't know how to get all this working or connect with all this, just go back to that. I'm God's child. My identity is I am in him and he is in me. I am accepted in the beloved. I am a child of God. I, and, you, you know, you affirm your identity. And then, you know, it's hard. It's hard. This is the part where this is, it's between you and God. It's, it's how much of a relationship do you actually want with him? You know, do you, are you sick of playing religious games? Do you actually want to experience transformation? Do you actually want to experience the manifestation of his spirit in a real way that's not some goofy, flighty, charismatic-y thing that lasts for about 30 minutes and then it's gone once you get in the car and go home? Do you want a real, lifelong experience with the spirit of the living God? It's available. It's, and it's just like any other relationship. He's there, he's real, he's alive, he's active. What does it take for you to engage him and interact? He gives us some clues, starts with affirm your identity, tells you the things to think about, whatsoever is good, lovely, true, think about these things. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, has, much, has everything to do with what you're thinking about, but centered around Jesus as your sufficiency. Jesus as your righteousness, your redemption, your sanctification. The more you know him, the more you will experience the manifestation of spirit. And when I say the more you know him, I don't mean get closer or anything. I just mean the more confident. You know, you, you, you might be married, but you get to know that spouse better and better and better, right? It's the same thing with Jesus. It's a relationship, and it's real. And it's not, it's not just... It's not detached from this life where you have to become some strange thing to interact with it. He's real. He's alive. He created you to be logical. He created you to think. Just think spiritually. Think according to his promises and his truth and his realities. Amen? Are you committed to that? Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are leading and guiding us. And we do not want to limit you because we want you to be fully glorified in our lives, whatever that may look like. So Jesus, we're committed to you. We want to just know you more. We want to know you deeper. And we want to experience the manifestation of your spirit in a real way that brings life and prepares us to bring life to others. That's our commitment. And we thank you for that. We trust you and we love you. We thank you for loving us. You know, and you might even be in here and you're not sure that you've said yes to him, but you want to make sure that you...